Well, Amos chapter 8 is the word of God to us, so let's ask him for his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for giving us your word in Amos. We thank you that as we've reflected for this last couple of months on your anger towards Israel, uh, that we've seen all the more clearly your holiness, your perfection, and how great is the salvation that is ours in the Lord Jesus. Please uh, reveal to us again uh, the truth about you, that we may respond and uh, relate to you rightly. And we pray it in Jesus' name. I remember nearly 20 years ago going looking for an engagement ring. Now, I had in mind exactly the kind of ring that I liked. When I suggested it to Carolina, she went, yuck, I don't like that. Uh, She had in mind exactly the kind of ring that she liked, but I didn't like that. So we headed off to jewellery shops to see if we could find a ring that we both liked. Now, one thing that I noticed in this is this, as we looked at... uh, just dozens of jewellery shops. Uh, you, uh, you look in all the glass cases, you see something you're interested in, the jeweller gets it out for you, and what they do, they roll out a big black velvet cloth. Have you ever had this experience? They roll out this cloth and they put the ring onto the cloth. It's a good idea. Because against the black background, you can see how nice the ring is. If you rolled out a Hawaiian shirt and put the ring on there, it wouldn't have quite the same effect. The beauty of the background would detract from the, from the, from, from the ring. Uh, it's, it's the contrasting black background that shows the luster of the jewel. Now, I reckon it's a bit the same with this book of Amos. It has been a dark book, this book of Amos, hasn't it? Uh, chapter after chapter after chapter of God's anger. Every excuse you can possibly think of is dealt with and knocked down. No escape, no excuses, no way around it. Chapter after chapter of gloom and doom. But the thing is, if we don't understand God's anger, we'll never understand how great Jesus is. If we don't understand the black background, we'll never see how beautiful is the jewel of the gospel. What I mean is this. Jesus comes and he dies in agony on a cross, crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me under the darkness of God's judgment, allegedly to rescue us from God's anger? Well, whoopee. So what? Who cares? If we think we're okay on our own, Jesus' death is is irrelevant to us. If we don't realise that God is angry with us, well, that, that death on the cross is pointless. If we think that there's some other way that we can get ourselves right with God, meaningless for Jesus to die on the cross. If we reckon we can get ourselves to heaven, the cross is a waste of time. Jesus has nothing worthwhile to offer. But Amos helps us to see the truth. The background is black. God is angry. We do need to be rescued. And once again, Amos chapter 8 does this very, very clearly. Amos shows God's anger coming onto Israel, in particular for their work practices. He shows there's no escape. Some of the things that they think will protect them will not protect them. This is another another black velvet passage. It starts off with a vision. Amos sees a basket of ripe fruit, and God gives the meaning of the vision. The time is ripe for Israel. God's judgment is coming. The NIV has done a great job of the translation here, because there's a very similar wordplay in the original Hebrew language. Ripe fruit, Because the time is ripe. Amos chapter 8 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Amos chapter 8 and verse 1. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe 
for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And Amos then goes on to give a vivid description of what will happen in that day, in the day when God judges Israel. And what he does, it's two scenes. Um, so first, he pictures a scene at the temple in his own day. Now, probably he means the temple in Bethel, that's where we've been in the last chapter or so. And at the time Amos is speaking, the picture is this. Uh, the Israelites, they're sitting in the temple. It's the Sabbath or another feast day. The temple is chock-a-block full of people, all dressed up to the nines, looking very religious, looking fabulous. On the outside, it looks very pious, very religious, but on the inside, it doesn't look so good. Uh, these Israelites, they're like, they're like Mr. Bean. They're falling asleep. They're, they're, they're bored. They're not interested in hearing God's word. They're not interested in giving sincere praise to God. They're, they're there doing their religious duty on the Sabbath or the feast days, but God's word has no value to them, no, no interest for them. They can't wait to get away. What they really want to do is get back to work, where they can do what they, what they really love doing where they can make money, where they can shortchange the people who sell to them with a scale that weighs things light, where they can shortchange the people who buy from them with a scale that weighs things heavy. That's what they're really passionate about. That's, that's what they dream about in bed and during the sermon. That's what they love. That's what they love a good deal. Buying cheap, selling expensive, making the poor poorer while they get richer. That's, that's the picture as Amos speaks. This lovely North Shore church service where everything looks religious on the outside, but that's not what's happening on the inside. But Amos also pictures the, the temple on that day, on that day when God judges. Amos says God is going to remember everything that they have done, every crooked deal every greedy action and he pictures the scene that the scene in the temple on the day of judgment that the temple is full of dead bodies no more singing just wailing no more noisy religious holidays just the 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 silence of death have a look verse 3 We start with Judgment Day. In that day, Judgment Day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. But now we move to Amos' day. Here's the scene now. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain and, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Now we go back to judgment day. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt as God shakes the people out of the land. God talks more about that terrible day. He says the the impact of it will be be felt in heaven and on earth. The the earth will be darkened and and their religious holidays, they'll turn into funeral processions. Verse 9. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, 
I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I'll turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I'll make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. That's what people who mourn do. I'll make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Judgment is coming. And God says when it happens, it will be too late. Too late to listen to his word. Too late to heed his word of warning. Too late to seek his word of mercy. God will judge and there'll be nothing more to say. And remember as Amos is speaking, the Israelites, they're not interested in God's word. They're sitting there bored, wishing it could be over with, wishing they could be doing something more interesting than listening to God's word. Well, says Amos, the day is coming when you will just wish that you could hear from God. But it'll be too late. Verse 11. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I'll send a famine through the land. Not a, a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Nothing more to say. And what what Amos does now is he, he pictures some different kinds of people. He talks to the beautiful young women. They think that their beauty will protect them in life, give them the life they want. He talks to the strong young men. They think their muscles will protect them in life, give them the life they want. Amos also talks to the people who worship idols. They think their idols will give them protection and life. But Amos says, uh-uh, none of it can protect you. None of it can protect you. On the day of God's anger, you will fall. Beautiful, muscly, idolatrous, you will fall. Finished. Verse 13. And that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. They who swear by the shame of Samaria or say, as surely as your God lives, O Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. Okay, there it is. I'm finished my part of Amos. Another strong message of judgment, isn't it? It's unrelenting full of black velvet, that the time is ripe for Israel. Their injustice has made God angry. Their external religion just makes him angrier. God's judgment is coming, a day when it'll be too late to hear his warnings, too late to find his mercy, a day when their looks or their physical strength of their idols will be no help at all, a day when they'll be destroyed. And you've got to remember, as Amos spoke, it was around 762 B.C., 762 BC, and his message, it would have seemed like madness. 762 BC, you've got to realise, Israel were doing fantastically. They'd won all these military victories. They'd expanded their land basically to be as big as it had ever been. The land was as big in this time as it was in the time of King Solomon. They had stable leadership. King Jeroboam, their king, he'd been king since 793. That's 31 years he'd been the king. Just have a listen to this quote about the time when Amos was preaching. It's a quote from a Bible dictionary. King Jeroboam's administrative skills combined with comparative freedom from foreign attack to bring unparalleled economic prosperity. Excavations in Samaria have demonstrated the grandeur 
of Jeroboam's fortress city together with luxury and false worship. Israel were doing great. It's like saying, America's going to fall and they'll have no power and Bangladesh will take over the world or something like that. It's just ridiculous for Amos to say this kind of stuff. But within 40 years, what Amos said came true. 722 BC, the armies of Assyria invaded Israel. Israel were utterly decimated. That, that whole northern kingdom, remember it was two kingdoms by now, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, all the tribes, Reuben, Dan, Asher, Gad, Naphtali, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, all wiped out. Hundreds of thousands of people killed. Uh, the few who survived were shifted off to another country, to Gozan and the towns of the Medes, never to return. You know, just out of interest, this is why we call Jews Jews today. You don't call Jews Israelites, do you? Why don't you call Jews Israelites? Because all the Israelites are dead. That, that whole northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. Only the southern kingdom, Judah, hence Jews, was left. God said the time was ripe. God said the day was coming. And what God said came true. <coughs> Friends, this same truthful God, this same God has promised that another day of judgment is coming. The Bible says that God has set the day when he will judge the world through Jesus. God has set the day. God, it says, has a day of wrath. It says that in the New Testament, Romans. It says a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed God has set a day. He's told us his judgment is coming. And God hasn't changed. He still gets angry about the same things he did in Amos' day. To pick it up from chapter 8, it still makes God angry when people show up to church looking all pious, but in fact they can't wait to head back to work and do what they really love, make money. Friend, friend I hope that's not you. I hope that's not you. I hope you're not here looking all holy on Sundays matchsticks in the eyes, doing your religious duty. But in fact, you just can't wait to get out of here. And I hope your church attendance isn't just like some sort of a cover-up, a veneer that covers a business life where you lie and steal and exploit. On your outline there, I've put a quote from a commentary that I'm using. Gary Smith is the author's name. So the language is a bit difficult. But I think what he says is, is really helpful in terms of application. Have a look with me. He says this. Can you see we're on the bottom of the left-hand side there? Uh, the world of business is not just a secular opportunity to get rich. It's a theological task God cares about. Do you understand that sentence? Not just a secular opportunity. It's not something separate from God, that, that my work life is, is not part of my religious life. No, no. It's not like God cares about what we do at church, but doesn't care what we do at work. Work is a theological issue. It's part of our relationship with God. God cares about all of our lives, all our behavior. He cares how we work. He's there watching. A theological task. Reading on. We do not have the power to produce wealth on our own. God is the one who gives every person the ability to make a financial gain. That's in Deuteronomy. Thus, God has an interest in how people carry out their activities of making money. Do you see what that bit means? 
It's not like our work is something we do separate from God. He gives us the strength. He gives us the abilities. He gives us the opportunities. God's in control of our work, and so he has a stake in it. He has an interest in it. The next bit. This is the key sentence, I think. God knows that the implementation of ethical principles in daily business affairs will frequently be an accurate barometer of the true transformational impact that spiritual ideas have on the life of a religious person. It's not the easiest sentence in the world, but I think it's a very, very significant one. How we work is like a barometer, a measure of whether spiritual ideas, our Christian faith, has actually changed our lives at all. In other words, if you want to know if someone's a fair income Christian, if you want to know if Jesus is really their Lord, if, if you want to know if Jesus has genuinely changed them, you don't just watch, they do, watch what they do in church. You watch them at work. You watch how they speak at work. You watch how they treat people. You watch how honest they are, how diligent they are. You watch them at work if you want to measure whether they're fair income. Gary Smith goes on to apply Amos further. This part's clearer. Have a look with me over over on the other side there. Two questions surface from an analysis of this passage. One, is it more important to be open for business every day or to worship God and to think about what God has done and observe one day of rest from work? Which is more important to you? Good on you for being here for an hour. But you're not off the hook yet. Point number two. If one does set aside one day, perhaps an hour, of the week for worship and rest, is there a contentment and joy in this celebration? Or is there a mental preoccupation with work and planning how to make money even on this non-work day? Friend, here's what it comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. What's your real passion? What do you actually love? What do you dream about what do you want about what is the point of your life is it to serve God is is it to listen to his word to respond to him with praise obedience is it to live for his glory are you here in church longing to hear God's word are you here in church longing to know more about him to learn about him to to know him to, to give him your praise and obedience or are you just wishing you could get it over with so you can get back to whatever it is that you really love. Last quote there from Gary Smith. Another issue is the way business people make money in their operations. Amos addresses the fundamental issue of honesty and fairness. A product sold for what they are worth or a customer's tricked? Those who shortcharge the seller and overcharge the buyer may be clever. And some may make a great deal of dirty money, but they are the enemies of God. It's a strong statement, isn't it? Do you do your business honestly and fairly? Do you tell the truth or or, or do you tell lies? Do Do you work diligently or do you bludge? Do you sell at a fair price? Do you buy at a fair price? Are you contributing to society? by what you do or are you just enriching yourself at the expense of others they're tough questions aren't they tough questions but we mustn't avoid them because Amos makes it clear here God cares about how we work 
If work blocks out our love for him and his word, that makes God angry. He's not changed his mind on this. It's not like he's fine now with North Shore churches with everybody asleep just waiting to get back and make money. It's not, like he's not fine with that now. He still doesn't like it. It's not like he's fine with, with people being in church as a cover-up for, uh, for their dishonest business lives. He's not okay with that still. Like it says in verse 7, God is not going to forget any of it. The day will come and we'll have to stand before him and give account for it all. And, and of course, Amos chapter 8, that's just talking about one area of our lives, isn't it? But of course, as we've, as we've worked through eight chapters of Amos and as we look at the rest of the Bible, we can see God cares more, about more than just our work. On that last day, we'll have to give an account for every area of our lives, every thought, every word, every action. And friends, I'm sure you're the same as me on this. There is plenty I'm not going to want up on display. Plenty that I'm going to be ashamed of. Plenty that I know God will be angry about. Friends, the Bible's clear on this. On that day of judgment, left to ourselves, we're not going to pass the test. We're not going to be able to stand ourselves. We are going to, be, we're going to need rescue from God's anger. The background is black. On that day of judgment, there's only going to be one way to be saved. It says this in the New Testament. I've put this on your outline. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus alone has done what it takes to rescue us from God's anger. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he did what it took to save us. Like Amos said, the sun went down at midday. As, 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 the earth was darkened as God's judgment went on Jesus instead of on us. As Jesus bore our sin in himself and paid the price for it. On your outline, there's a quote about heaven. I just want you to notice from this quote, who's there? Who's there in heaven? On your outline, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Lamb is Jesus, a lamb because of his sacrifice on the cross. Only those written in his book of life. In other words, only those for whom Jesus has been sacrificed, only those relying on Jesus who are going to be there. No other way. And again, Amos can help us to, as we see this. Amos can help us see this because in Amos chapter 8, we see some things that are no protection, things, things that a lot of people are relying on. But there'll be no protection. Like in Amos's day, your beauty will not help you. Let's face it, beauty gets you plenty of stuff in this life, doesn't it? People treat you nicely. People think you are good. It was Leo Tolstoy who once wrote, It's amazing how complete is the delusion that beauty is goodness. It's amazing how complete is the delusion that beauty is goodness. Beauty might help you here on earth. No help on Judgment Day. You can't flutter your eyelids at Jesus and think he's going to let you in. It's not going to happen. Beauty will be no protection. And muscles are not going to help you either. Uh, muscles might be good for some things in life. Moving pews, maybe. <laughs> Opening a jar, perhaps. But no amount of muscles is going to save you on Judgment Day. Jesus is not going to offer you an arm wrestle. If you win, you get into heaven. Muscles will be no protection. Beauty won't save you. Muscles won't save you. And like Amos says here, idols won't help you either. 
Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Confucius can't save you. Krishna can't save you. Statues can't save you. Incense can't save you. Penance can't save you. Yoga or Tai Chi can't save you. Astrology can't save you. Tarot cards can't save you. Technology can't save you. Siri can't save you. None of them. None of them have died on the cross to bear your sin. None of them have risen again from death. None of them is at the right hand of God praying for you. Only Jesus can save you. And like Amos says here, on that day of judgment, there's going to be no second chance. Here and now, here and now, if you're awake, you can heed God's warning. Here and now, if you're awake, you can respond to God's word of mercy. Here and now, you can trust in Christ and be saved, but the day is coming when there'll be no more word from God. The day is coming when it'll be too late to change your mind, too late to turn from sin, too late to hear from God. Friends, can you see how black the background is? Can you see how black it is? God is genuinely angry with you and with me. And there is no escape. There is no way around it. It won't be okay. We can't save ourselves. Can you see how black it is? Well then, friend, look to Jesus. Look to the only one who can save you. Look to Jesus and see, see for yourself what a precious, precious jewel he is. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that on that cross, in the darkness of that day, forsaken by you, he bore our sin and paid the full price for it. We thank and praise you that there now is a name under heaven by which we can be saved. Our Father, please never let us take for granted what Jesus has done. Please help us to know how desperate, how dire was our situation without him and help us all the more to love him, to honour him, to glorify and worship him, both together as we gather to meet your word, separately as we live our, all of our lives for him and forever as we give him thanks and praise. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.